Movies. Oh, I was hoping I was going to get movies because I was going to do a big movies because <laughs> we're doing a musical. <laughs> you're not good. Like when when you do eeny, meeny, miny, mo with like two people, you're you 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 can't count ahead. Uh-uh. Like you're just like, oh, I don't know where this is going to end up. Yeah. And I love tic tac toe. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, this is a movie podcast. I only lose about half the time. <laughs> Fine. Two guys used to date. Now they don't. I'm Ryan Whedon. That's Matthew Fisher. And we are very close to hitting 200 episodes, Matt. Wow. This is episode 196. I think episode 200 will roughly coincide with me getting my second vaccination shot. Oh. Yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I just got my second shot yesterday. So I feel like poo-poo at the moment. I'm a Pfizer gal. Pfizer Minnelli, if you will. I am stable as a tape. No, I'm, I'm getting my first one tomorrow. Lady Moderna. And uh, Is that okay? So is that like Ermagerd, but like Lady Madonna, but an Ermagerd? Yeah. Lady yeah. Moderna? Lady Moderna. Yeah. So, you know, I'll let you know, all know how it goes. But, uh, yeah, I'm getting my second one in roughly a month. And so, uh, yeah, it'd be, the, it'd be the day after we record our 200th episode. Wow. I, I mean, this podcast is kind of exciting. It's outlasted a whole Trump presidency. It's now going to <laughs> outlast uh, a pandemic. Yeah. She's I'm- got legs. I want to save some of this talk for the 200th episode. No. <laughs> Get it out now. We don't want to count our chickens, Ryan. What if what if Lady Moderna like like get, just gives me the the COVID? And uh and then it's a little I, embarrassing can... to get COVID this late in it, don't you think, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> but like what if I can't what if I lose my my power of speech? And I can't talk anymore. Oh, no. And I have to sign this podcast. That drop that you use, like that voice, like when we can't remember someone's name. This one? It's going to be that speaking for me. The whole time. For the whole podcast. Well, here. I mean, we'll I'm tr- not against it. We'll, we'll try it out now. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about the things I said about Nomadland. Your... <laughs> And Darren's opinions were spot on. (laughs) People at home, this is hilarious. (laughs) You can't see it, but just take our word for it. That's very humble of you to admit that. So, uh, okay, uh, or plan B, I'll get one of uh, those uh, those things that uh, smokers have. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll just sound like the dude in South Park. Goombaya, my lord, goombaya. Is losing your voice a side effect of the vaccine that I haven't heard about yet? Mm, It's all uncharted waters, Ryan. We don't know where this wild ride is taking us. That's right. They really rushed it to... uh, Who knows what they're pumping into you? I mean, yeah. I should have asked more questions. (laughs) I mean, for all we know, this is going to make us think that uh, the world is round or something. Oh, God. Or that uh, children... Sex trafficking rings aren't happening in pizza parlor basements. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the sort of shit that they're pumping into our brains with oh. this. 
George Soros and Bill Gates are going to be able to track our every move. What does Bill Gates want to know? I really just go to work in the grocery store <laughs> at this point. Yeah. It's like, what What do they want to find out from our pandemic lives? Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, streaming services already report that information someplace. Oh, like, yeah. They can find out that information if they really wanted to. Oh, my God. The internet is way better at, like, tracking stuff than this thing. I read one article about Esther Perel, who's a pretty famous therapist. Mm -hmm. And that day, like, after reading it, I saw an ad for her book in my Instagram feed. Yep. No. It, that's, that's how it works. I did, I did a Google search when I was, like, getting ready to move. Ikea bed frame. Like, just in case I needed it, I wanted to, like be able to price it out mm -hmm. to this day six months later my facebook feed is still inundated with ads for bed frames is this cookies is this what cookies are when i'm when i'm saying like yeah go ahead you can use my tracking stuff is that what cookies are yeah i think so do you think in england the, the you have to approve biscuits yeah good question <laughs> we have any british listeners please chime in on that you're more aware of this than i do like do they ha like is the word cookies like in england like do they i don't think so like the, the cookies just that's not a thing no their ideas also i think american cookies are different than british biscuits there's not chocolate chip biscuits well they have to us they're like cookies but they're like the idea of like a chewy cookie like we have, you know, here in America, they don't, I don't think they really have them over there. Like biscuits are either savory, like a cracker, or they're sweet and like that, like a digestive biscuit or something like that. Digestive biscuit? Yeah. What's a digestive biscuit? Like a, like a cookie you have with your tea. Oh, it makes it sound like it's like a Pepto-Bismol biscuit. No. Don't they call, like, certain types of drinks, like a Negroni, don't they call those digestives? Uh, digestif? A digestif. Oh, okay. Yeah, or aperitif. Uh, yeah, see, I've, I've heard of aperitif, but, yeah, someone described it as a, a digestif the other day, and I was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, your your Jägermeisters and your Fernet Brancas, those are uh, digestifs, so uh, it's supposed uh, to help, uh, help finish What was that meal. second one? Fernet Branca. Was she the one who played Jean Grey in X-Men? <laughs> mm-hmm. I legit don't know what that is. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's... Um, so, you ever, have you ever thrown up? Yeah. And you, you know what bile tastes like? Yeah. Okay, so let's imagine that you ate a bunch of Lifesavers, and then you threw up, and then you swallowed that throw up and then you threw up again that's what fernet bronca tastes like <laughs> so it tastes like friday night as a child yeah. like wait but I, no i mean like that might be what it tastes like but what is it like is it oh it's just it's a liqueur with oh. like herbs and you know secret blend of herbs and spices <laughs> it's probably made by it's monks kfc yeah somewhere i don't know i think it's gross it tastes it's like licorice and minty and people love it mm. uh a lot of service industry people love it it's very bitter and um repulsive mm. i would say i mean gays are attracted to those two sorts of things it's how we like our drag queens it's 
like <laughs> we like our digestives. Bitter and repulsive? <laughs> okay. Hey, Dragula's not like a big hit for no reason. <laughs> yeah, okay. Good point, good point. We just this this is what opening banner should be. <laughs> just free associating with whatever we we're, can we're really in the that ether. uh, uh gorlian rust headspace here where yeah. we got no topic even if we had a topic we weren't going to be on topic yeah do, do you have a, a personal anecdote you can throw in at any moment uh that'll take a uh, you know t- 12 to 15 minutes well once in my youth no i got nothing yeah me neither my childhood was uneventful. No one wants to hear about that. What about that time that you rubbed uh, mud on the windows? <laughs> I just hosed the window down. Or when you were a karate teacher. What? Or when you were a loan shark king. <laughs> wow, look at you, locked and loaded. Uh, yeah, we, uh, th- this is Jeopardy. Which one do you want and what price? I'll take... Um karate instructor for 600 lavar so one day we were doing jump kicks and like we had like a, a wooden bar that like you had to like jump over and like do the kick to like a punching bag okay and it was so that like you'd tuck like your your bottom leg up high enough oh, okay so you'd like you'd jump and like you'd have to lift like one leg would have to be out to kick the other leg would have to be like tucked up tight okay. in order to make both over and uh because like I was like tall, like they put the stick up really high for me. Mm-hmm. So like I ran and I jumped way too high, and like the bottom half of me like did the kick just fine, but it's like my head was like below my hips, and I put my arm out to land, and I totally just like straight elbowed it, like palm hit, and I just remember it like pinched a nerve, and it was this very slow crawl like you know how when you hit your funny bone that sensation yeah i felt that like tenfold like in my bicep like go up my arm up my shoulder up my neck and like just sting my head like just like burning my brain and then like something must have popped or cracked or something in that elbow because like a calcium deposit formed in my elbow and i was like physically unable to like straighten that arm for like a week until like my mom who's like a massage therapist like found like what some sort of you know contusion in my elbow and like popped it (gasps) ew yeah is that deposit just floating around in your body you think still well no it probably would have dissolved at this point but i mean this was 20 years ago should 25 get, years ago should we get you to a medium and be like i am speaking to the deposit of calcium inside <laughs> of matt uh you know not an expert on the matter i don't think calcium deposits have souls something tells me that their afterlife is uh much like ours uh and uh yeah i don't know well uh have you heard of q uh uh Maybe Star that. Trek? Yep. Yeah. 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 He uh, would beg to differ. Oh, would he? Yeah. He was a calcium deposit man. <laughs> okay. Good one. Uh, I was going to say, I didn't think Star Trek went into, like, afterlifey stuff. Like, it was all, like, very much, like, you know, this plane of existence. Yeah. Deep Space Nine gets into some, like, 
uh, spiritual god territory. No wonder you but didn't like that one as much. They make it more like about these aliens don't experience time the same way we do. So oh. it's hard to con- understand there. Yeah. So like when someone asks you like if time is a construct, because I know you get that question frequently. Every day. What do you say? Uh-huh. And, 100%. And so if you had to explain time being a construct to someone, how would you explain that? Read Arrival. Well, that's just time being circular. Or experiencing all things at once. Okay, but like, how do you explain that to someone? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. These are the questions that need asking. Because like, I'm, I'm a believer in time being a construct too, but I'm like, I, I have no proof. I guess there's some sort of theory of relativity on the matter, but mm. uh, I'm, I'm not versed enough to explain it in those terms. It's, yeah, we can see time, like we could see, you know, a... Like when I look ban- at a clock? Banana rot. Okay. And we experience it Or when we see way. a loved one age. Don't look at me <laughs> while you say that. <laughs> you need more ice for your back? <laughs> Vulnerable right now. Leave <laughs> me alone. Uh, but uh, it's, yeah, it's just sort of an abstract that we can all agree on. <laughs> we, we've uh, we've come together and we're just like, this is this. Yeah, we're going to measure it like this, and uh, this many agreed upon units of measurement is is this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. That's just how humans have defined their lives. So I think of it like time is like a book, like a big book, but like a book, mm-hmm. and it's like everything that's going to happen in this story has already happened. Like the book's already there. Time is just like us reading the story. It's not us writing it as we go. No. Cause like the, it's already been written. Like if everything already happens at once, then it's already happened. So it's like the book's already written and time is just the experience of us reading this novel. It doesn't matter how fast or slow we read it or, uh, or how long it takes us to get through it. The ending of the book's still the same. Whoa, bro. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Uh, it makes sense. Okay. I don't think I agree with it. Okay. But um, Why not? Because I think we're writing. I, I think I like mine better where we're writing the book as we go. Well, that makes us sound like we're in charge of our own destiny when we're not. Oh, see, now here we go. If everything's already happened, then we really don't have any free will. It's already happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That book's already written. Speaking of books that have been written. Yes. Today's movie is based on a book that was written in Uh, 1900. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. What book is that, that, Ryan? Was that a hard turn across the several lanes? I was uh Yeah, that was a tough one. I was trying to get us trying to get us there. I was like, what book did Diana Ross write? <laughs> um the book is Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz or something. I don't remember. The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Thank you. And today's movie is called uh, The Wiz. So <laughs> Matt. 
<laughs> God. Here we go. We haven't had a musical in a while. Not since uh, Schlocktober when we did a uh, repo. Be- Right. And uh, this is one, ever since I've seen it, I'm like, I'm probably going to do this on the podcast. I remember when you first saw it, we talked about it. (laughs) It's a special thing. Written for the screen by Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher. uh, Directed by Sidney Lumet. Our first Sidney Lumet. Boy, it's like, okay. (laughs) Sidney Lumet. Director of powerful films. Dog Day Afternoon. 12 Angry Men. Network. The Verdict. Like, <laughs> come on. Movies that like defi- like that have defining performances from actors like Paul Newman in The Verdict, Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon, Henry Fonda in 12 I'm, Angry I'm Men. I'm still angry. I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. Uh, net from Network. Yeah, all of it. Really one of America's great directors. And this is how we pop that cherry. This is like... Going to the whorehouse, your dad says, pick out one, they all cost the same, and uh, we go for the gimpy one (laughs) in the corner with the bum eye. Okay, I think watching it a second time, having some uh, space from it, the first, just like letting it wash over me the first time, Mm -hmm. this time I I had a little more idea of what to expect. I liked it better this time around. I think it's actually... I'm I'm gonna say, I like it. I might even go so far as to say I really like it. Okay. Um. Is it good? Well, that's another question. This movie works. What did you think of it? Why don't we start there? I didn't care for it, Ryan. Oh no, I did not care for it. Um, Oh dear. Oh dear. And so one of one of the things that I'd like to to flesh out with you in real time here is sort of a. I would say that this is worse than Xanadu. Xanadu. Really? But I think that it's more competently made. Definitely. Better and, music? You know, I'm going to go with no. Oh, see, no. I would argue that this is the best music of any musical we've done. Mm, not Maybe l- Phantom of the Paradise. Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, good point, good point, good point, good point. No, because I—I I, I mean, I'm not saying that Xanadu was better by like a country mile or anything like that. Like, it, like this is a photo finish here. <laughs> okay, okay, fair. And I and I feel like Xanadu just squeaked it out a little bit. Honestly, while I was watching The Wiz, I was kind of thinking, I was like, okay, because I was just getting hard Xanadu flashbacks during this. This even has like a scene where she, like our main character just sings to the camera. So, that, no, that's what was like. <laughs> And I was like, you know what? I think this is like a modicum better because at least there's no scene of our lead just singing on a pure black sound stage at the camera with like no camera movement, no colors. And like then, like the moment I think that is like Diana Ross just looking square into the camera, singing this last lame ballad. Like, that's the okay. That's her best moment in the movie, if you ask me. I suppose. She really sells that. She's, like, crying for real, and, like... Good actors don't cry. They hold back their tears, Ryan. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. That's what, that's what makes Olivia Newton-John a thespian. Yeah, with that song. All right, I'm going to tell you right this. My biggest problem with this movie 
is Diane Ross. <laughs> is, is it because she's a 34-year-old? Yes! Playing what was supposed to be a 12-year-old or 14-year-old? Well, I think in the movie they say you are 22 years old or something like that. Yeah. So like, they're yeah. like hedging their bets a little bit. But even then, like she looks older than 20-something. Yeah. And two, they put her in like this school marmy She's outfit. a kindergarten teacher. Well, it ages her on top of her. So like, she looks older than she is already. Like that's an outfit that like a 40-year-old is wearing. My problem with it is that it's like it makes her seem like she's got maybe like mental problems and has to be like that's you think why she has like developmental disorders yeah, it's like that's why she's still living with auntie m and she, she's which got, makes uh, it even sadder that they're like get out and get her get out of here you gotta go work on stuff it's like she's in so, so wait you think she's got like progeria where it's like she, she's aged 20 years faster than than her her she's actually well i mean i was thinking more like uh she has like she's like some, jack from the movie jack <laughs> No, I think she has like, like I don't know, like borderline personality disorder or something, and it's like this person can't function on their own. They need oh, like, you mean a like guardian. she has like Nivea aphasia or something, where like she's she's still stuck being twenty two, but she's actually forty. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like it just it really doesn't work on a lot of levels. When she's singing and when she's dancing, I'm on board. Like she, it, it, do all those things. I, I was gonna say one. Girl can really sing. Oh, yeah. Two, I guess I should have known this, but, like, when you look at, like, those old Supreme videos or something, like, they're not, like, dancing, dancing. And she's a good dancer. She, oh, she's, like, she's dancing all over the place. Yeah. Like, when, when, when her and Michael Jackson are easing down the road, I'm just like, I love this. <laughs> Go yeah. for it. Yeah. But, like, all the reaction shots of her, all her line deliveries, I'm just like, you look neurotic. <laughs> What is happening? So you remember when we watched Sweeney Todd and I was complaining that, like, I don't like it when they cast actors when they need to cast singers? Mm -hmm. This is the argument that proves that (laughs) argument wrong. Because, like, Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, like, these are, like, indisputable singers and dancers. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, like, they have to act in between those songs. So, like, they're frequently very good in the songs, thank God. But... Boy, there's a lot of downtime where there's not much songs going on. I, I made a note because it was like Michael Jackson doesn't show up in this movie. He plays the scarecrow. He doesn't show up till like the half hour mark. And when he does, like this movie finally gets some traction. Like it takes a minute. And there's yeah. that crazy, like her getting to Oz, that scene isn't bad. It's just. You mean her in like the snow tornado or everything? The blornado. The blornado. Yeah. Blizzard tornado. That also. I mean, the stuff at Thanksgiving. Who cares? Like it, it has no weight to it. It's like like a one of the problems with this movie is that it's gonna be compared to Wizard of Oz. I know. And I, you I don't, don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to do that as a movie, and like I don't want to do that as a reviewer. But it it's like at least in. Wizard of Oz, like, we have that, like, somewhere over the rainbow to sort of, like, give this whole first part some emotional weight. It's also in black and white, so then when you come to color, it's, like, this big to-do. But, like, here, all that, like, Thanksgiving stuff, it just just seems superfluous. Yeah, and it's a good point that, like, when she does get to Oz, 
it just looks like dark and scary rather than like I don't know, but I also like that in a way because I think Oz should be scary. Yeah, I did have a little problems with the production design, especially like in that like first song when they get to Oz. Uh, I have a friend who used to like work in like the theater around here, and uh, he, he was rewatching the show uh, Gilmore Girls, and he was complaining about season seven to me. And he goes, "It's not just the writing that's bad; it's the production d- design that's bad." He goes, "One, they continually dress all the characters in purple." Which is fine, like kinda, because like everyone looks good in purple. It's it's really easy to like just throw like a purple sweater on someone and they look good. But a lot of the sets were also purple, so then they just kind of like blend into the sets. And I had that same problem with this opening song where it's like everything's like dark blue or purple, the actual color of the sets. Right. And then all the characters were like in dark blue and purple, so they kind of just. I don't know, all blended blended together, and it just kind of looked like an amorphous moving mess. I think they were hoping to get more black light on those people because they had, like, it looked like iridescent paint on them, them, but it just, yeah, it doesn't really come across. No, and I don't know, it's just like, this is like your big first number, and like the song itself is okay, but like, you know, you want to see like the choreography, you want to see the synchronized dancing, and it just it doesn't really come across as like visually arresting at all. And I, you know what? This I really went back and forth on this. So Sidney Lumet does this a lot in this movie, where he just takes the camera, pulls it way, way, way far back, so you can kind of see everything in these huge set pieces, huge, huge set pieces, huge throughout the movie. We'll like we'll touch on a bunch of them, but like this first one is is it's a huge. And, like, he just, rather than, like, I guess he gets in there a little bit, but for the most part, he just, like, takes the camera, sets it way back, and you just sort of, it's like a stadium view of it. Mm -hmm. And there's times when I think, oh, that's a smart idea so I can see the scale and see how big it is. But then it's, like, I'm not engaged. I feel like... You don't see the detail? Yeah. And you kind of want to? It's sort of like watching a marching band from the stadium. You can, like, see, like, oh, look, they made a american flag but that's not what i want to see in something like this like it's like yeah you made a circle but like what about these costumes what about these dancers because these these dancers are good yeah like, it's not like the apples the apple! oh my god exactly that's where i was gonna go it's like the, they're tight like these are much better dancers than the apple yeah i just i just wish that like the costume design and the set design were coordinated so that there was a little bit more like visual disparity between the two. Like if the set's going to be in this like, first sequence, yeah, specifically, yeah, yeah, specifically, yeah. Like if the sets are going to be like bluish purple, like make the dancers like orange yellow, make them yeah. pop from the surroundings. But I mean, I guess they were also supposed to be like camouflage, like they were like graffiti, graffiti that like yeah. came alive, and so like they they kind of have to match the set. But it's like. I don't know, and I could also see like how if you saw this on Broadway, that wouldn't necessarily be as much of a problem, because like, you know, you'd be seeing more of a three dimensional effect potentially. It's hard to not. I mean, we're talking about comparing it to The Wizard of Oz. It's hard not to think of how good this would be on stage. A yeah. lot of times, I was thinking that watching it this time is like, oh, all the breaks we get when they're doing the ease on down the road stuff is like oh, we'd probably have huge set changes during this moment while mm-hmm. they're skipping around. And that would probably look cool while you're watching. So, 
you're working against two things. You're working against people's preconceived notions of The Wizard of Oz, and you're also trying to translate a stage play into a movie. So it's like, it's a tough task. Yeah. And, and I don't think I don't think it's a complete failure. I really think that, like, sometimes it succeeds. Yeah, I just, one, I don't think Sidney Lumet's heart was in it. Like, this whole movie reeks of, like, they weren't aiming for good, they were aiming for good enough. Well, he wasn't supposed to be the first director. Yeah, it's like the first director quit when Diana Ross, like, lobbied herself into the lead role. Because <laughs> they were supposed to get, uh, was it Stephanie Mills, I think her name yeah, was? Yeah, that sounds right. Who was, like, 22 at the time. And which is right. Which would have been perfect. And she was Dorothy in The Wiz on Broadway, so. Yeah, and, it, like, part of it is just, like, Diana Ross, like, it's produced by Motown, and, like, Diane Ross, of course, was, like, Barry Gordy's lover for, like, a long time, so she had, like, a direct line to, like, the top of Motown. No. And this also, like, is one of those things where, like, a lot of people say Motown lost its soul when it moved to L.A., which, I mean, that was, like, in, in 67, and it, like, wasn't right away, but it was, like, that definitely, like, marks, like, the first step, like, away from its roots, and, like, this is, like, definitely by the time where they had, like, lost, like, not only, like, their good, like, talent, but, like, you know, they were getting more into, you know, your your uh, Luther Vandross stage of things, where... Hey, he, he made a song for this movie. <laughs> it's like, no. Okay. Where it's, like, it got a lot smoother, got a lot slicker, and, like, well, I, I of course, think that capitalism has done no wrong in our society. I will say that I don't like how it, it kind of defanged Motown. Mm. I do think that is a, a, a slight critique on, on, on capitalism. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> and I don't want to make it seem like I'm inferring that, that L.A. like is the reason for that, that L.A. culture like changed like the hearts and souls of the people of Motown. I'm explicitly saying that. I see. Okay. So. Yeah, how did you get first? Well, yeah. Just, uh... Don't want anybody speculating on my position on that. L.A. ruined Motown. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if I would also quit over Diana Ross. Part of her getting this role was also that, like, I can get Michael Jackson to be the Scarecrow. So it's like, he was only going to be part of this movie if she was going to be Dorothy. And they were like, oh, that's a that's a good get. And I mean... Michael Jackson, if he if this hadn't happened, Michael Jackson wouldn't have met Quincy Jones. We wouldn't have gotten off the wall. Like, da-da-da-da-da. Is so, this how we met Quincy Jones? Yeah, they met on the set of this movie. Oh, how fun is that? Oh, that is fun. Yeah. Also, never been more certain of Michael Jackson's homosexuality than <laughs> watching this movie. Like, whew, I don't know what... I love wo- him in this movie. I don't know what wool he was pulling over people's eyes to make, like... I just look at this, I'm like, this is the gayest performance I've ever seen. I think he's amazing. You can't win. You can't make it and then you can't get out of the game. People keep saying things are gonna change, but they look just like to stay in the same. When he like he's emoting on a cross, basically. I don't know. Like, I think the movie comes alive at the half hour mark with Michael Jackson. You're just like, we can breathe. Like, when they're easing on down the road, the two of them, and he's like walking like a scarecrow and tumbles, Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh no, he fell. Oh, he's fine. Mm -hmm. It just looks so good. He just, he really. Well, I mean, he's he's got a physicality. He's always had a great physicality. Just 
just the way he, he like embodies the scarecrow. And he's 19 in this movie. <laughs> Is that it? Wow. It's awesome. I think he's really, really good. Like, like he's good. It's just it screams homosexual to me. <laughs> it's like when you hear that, like, oh, like women used to love Liberace, and it's like, what? And like that's how I feel the same way about Michael Jackson. Looking at this old soul, I'm like, okay, you say so. What did you make of his uh, Reese's peanut butter cup wrapper yeah. nose? <laughs> Was that intentional, or is it know. just that like? In today's like high def world, we can see these details or something. It was a Reese's peanut butter cup wrapper. It was hundred like, percent. Right? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. And I, I wasn't sure if that was like intentional or not. <laughs> yeah. They also made him really jowly. Like, yeah. For what reason? That was a good, that's, I was wondering that too. I was like, why does he have so much prosthetics? I don't know. It just it made him look like a like Job of the Hut or something a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. That was a weird choice. I did like. The crow's makeup, I liked mm-hmm. a lot. I thought that was really good. Uh, yeah, costume okay. design and makeup with like the feathery hands and stuff. I think uh, uh, "Can't Win" is probably is like, if not the best, one of the best songs in the movie. Okay, yeah, I like, liked it too. The, like that was the one where I'm like, okay, I can get on board with this song. I mean, I think "Ease on Down the Road" is the best one, but uh, yeah, "Ease on Down's okay. It kicks "Follow the Yellow Brick Road's ass. Sure, sure. Like, it's been a long time since I've seen the original Wizard of Oz. Like, that's another reason why I don't want to compare the two too much, because it's like, I don't remember if the song is very good in that movie. Yeah. But, like, yeah, Ease on Down the Road's, like, fun. Honestly, Quincy, I think he kind of, like, failed in the arrangements. I don't know. There's no, like, bass to these songs. Like, it just doesn't feel soulful to me. You know what I mean? Like, it just it kind of feels well, flat. Yeah, he didn't write the songs. But he, but he arranged it for the movie. Yeah. I just wonder what it would be like to see it live. Like, maybe it would have been a little bit different. I mean, this goes back to, like, what I was saying earlier where it was like, you know, Quincy Jones did a good enough job, but he didn't do a good job with the arrangements. Like, that's how I feel on the matter. Okay, okay. I guess next we're meeting Nipsey Russell at Coney Island. (laughs) I went back and forth because I watched the movie twice. Like, once, like... You did? Yeah, no, like Xanadu... Watched the movie twice. Wow. I mean, this one is a two was hour like movie. <laughs> once I was like sitting intently watching, and the other I was kind of two screening a little bit just okay. to refresh my memory. And I, I don't know, I have like conflicting emotions about it because like some of the stuff I kind of like about that scene. Like what? <laughs> well, it's like okay, so he's he's caught under some like fat statue named Teeny. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. And I like when Diana Ross is like prying his like hands like off his chins or his knees or whatever it is yeah but like when he starts to cry i liked the crying he like becomes a robot this like basically hard stream of I, I was just like, I don't, this looks odd. Like It's weird. It's, I'm not going to disagree I, with I, you there. I don't feel like it was captured accurately on film. Like, I could see, like, sitting in an audience and, like, seeing this character, like, suddenly, like, spouting liquid from his eye holes. But, like, for some reason in the movie, and this kind of goes back to, like, the, the visual clarity of it, where I'm like, he's brown and, like, the liquid coming out of him is brown, so it it looks weird like i don't see it well 
it just looks like a weird scene. Well, he cries later to wake up people. Did you have the same feelings in that one, or was it... uh... No, I don't remember that being as much of an issue. It's really primarily when he starts crying and, like, immediately rusts himself. Right. But I was just like, what is he, like, he's leaking brown water and he, like, rusts immediately? Even though, like, the water, like, gushes onto the ground, not onto him? Like, I don't know, it was just... Uh, that that scene was like very back and forth for me. Were you getting uh, strong uh, sexual innuendo vibes from that oil song? Start some oil to me. Let it trickle down my spine. If you don't have STP, Crisco will do just fine. I think everything's a double entendre in this song about like sliding it up and getting lubed up. Oh, yeah. You and like pour it down my throat. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. This is, this is a little sexy. Yeah. It was. It, I just thought it was weird like how quickly he rusted. Like the, he wasn't rusted when they found him. It wasn't until he started crying. And he's crying for Teeny. And then there's like those like weird like heads that are watching this scene unfolds right and like i don't remember what that connects to with anything i don't know there was just there's just a lot of stuff that didn't seem to to connect to anything else okay does he get a song he gets two songs he gets one where he's like singing about how he doesn't have a heart what would i do if i could suddenly feel and to know once again that what I feel is real I could cry I could smile I might lay back for a while tell me what 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 would I do if I could feel I don't remember if this is in The Wizard of Oz but like these characters that Dorothy meets say, I don't have this, but they almost immediately show that they do. Well, yeah, because it's like the Scarecrow says something and Dorothy is like, that's really smart. Yeah. It's like, okay, so the Scarecrow wants to get a brain. Five, ten minutes later, she's like remarking how smart he is. And then, I mean, the Tin Man is like, I don't have a heart, but he's crying over what's her name. So it's like, well, obviously you feel things. Yeah. And then with the lion later, like he says, I don't have any courage. But then right after that is the subway scene where he saves them all. Yeah. I mean, of course, the whole thing with the story is that like they had these things all along. Right. We just see it. But yeah, it, it is a little strange. That, like we see it so quickly. It's like, oh, I don't have any courage, but let me save you from these pillar monsters, these column monsters. Okay. Did you not like the subway sequence? Oh no, I, I love the subway sequence. I do like it. It's but I mean, it's not exactly the most convincing illusion, you know, I've seen in a in a in a movie musical. It's like a weird acid trip. It it is, but it also had that thing that like you see in like, you know, slasher movies where like someone's like trying to run away from the killer who's just like lurching slowly and it's like do you need to be like gasping? Like <laughs> These people clearly cannot catch up to you. Like, a brisk walk would get you out of the way. 
I don't know. I like it. I think it's weird. I think it looks good color wise because it's like you got the yellow floor, yep, the black and white pillars, and then like red bars that they're stuck behind. No visual disparity problems here. Like this, like everything was clearly defined and yeah, you could see your way around, but it also, and this might just be that like, you know, what when was this movie made? 78? I think so. It does kind of look a little cheap. Oh. I mean, the movie was the most expensive movie filmed in New York uh, to that point, and you know, one of the reasons I heard that they hired Sidney Lumet is that he was known for finishing movies uh, on time and under budget. Oh, okay. And I don't know. I feel like some of the creature feature stuff could have been a little bit more glossy, a little bit more slick. Wow, okay. Like, it was fun. But High standards. Nothing that, that you wouldn't see in a everyday episode of Sesame Street. Wow, all right. I did think when they were, like, doing the shots of the puppets growing, like, they did practical That effects. was creepy. Like those, those like little two, like, like I don't know, like little squishy monster dealies that grew. Mm-hmm. That was a little creepy when they grew. When they grew tall. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like maybe it was just like, I was like watching at Home Alone in the dark. I was like, that's a little unnerving. Yeah, it really like freaked me out the first time I saw it. When I knew it was coming this time, I was able to look at the craft a little bit, and I like, I don't know. I think it's good. Still a good, still a good trick. I like when Oz is scary. Like, yeah. I think like Alice in Wonderland. Like, it can't all just be, like, what a pleasant place to be. Like, I think if our heroine is going to show growth and, like, show that, like, she's, you know, a strong character, like, it needs to be weird. It needs to be scary. And, like... And the characters need to be scared. I mean, that is one thing with Alice where she's just like, well, this is strange, but I'll still eat this thing or I'll still grow to this height or I'll still drink this potion. Yeah. Or I'll still talk to this high caterpillar. Which is why I like that uh, Jan Svinkmeyer Alice so much is because it's like, this is creepy. Yeah. Like, like, Wonderland should be weird. And I think the books actually do present Oz as kind of a scary place. Well, in the books, isn't Dorothy like five? Yeah, she's a kid. She's a child. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's another reason I like Return to Oz a lot. I don't know if last time you've seen that movie. I've never seen it. Oh, you haven't? No. Well, it's... Like, presents Oz as kind of a scary place. I remember seeing, like, part of it on television. Because, like, isn't, like, the Scarecrow, like, a jack-o'-lantern type Scarecrow or something? Or, like, his head's a lot bigger? Yeah, his name is, uh, Jack Pumpkinhead, I think. (laughs) I just remember it being too creepy for me when I was, like, eight or nine or something, and I changed the channel. I was like, this looks like Wizard of Oz, but it looks scary. So yeah. I, like, changed the channel. And it is. And you can temper that with, like, funny moments. But, like, I think that when it needs to be scary, like, make it scary. And then, like, you know, I remember hearing people say, like, oh, I really liked the original Wizard of Oz, but those flying monkeys really scared me. Sure. And it's like, good. I think there should be those creepy moments. I think the witch is scary in that. Yeah, I, I mean... Not to say that this is, like, a kid's movie. I mean, it's sort of a family movie. There's not too many off-color jokes or anything like that. No, besides that, like, pour the lube down my throat. Yeah. Me. But that would just go over a kid's head. <laughs> yeah, before, but before the Tin Man says, like, choke me on that hot oil. <laughs> yeah. Daddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thought that was a weird addition, but, you know, it rhymed. <laughs> that was Michael Jackson's addition. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, yeah, like, family films don't really have, like, scary moments. I feel like, like, there's no Pixar movie that's, like, 
you know, has horror elements to it or anything like that. And, you know, maybe like Coraline, when, especially like when the parents have those dead eyes. But there is like, I don't know, stuff in the garage scene or the subway scene, like, you know, a little scary, a little scary. I like, like when the columns come alive and stuff. I don't know. I like the whole thing. I think it's pretty cool. Before we go any further. Yeah. Of the, the quartet, which one are you? Dorothy, Scarecrow, Tin Man, Lion. I would like to think of myself as the Scarecrow, mm-hmm. just like some sexy himbo. Uh, Is that how you see the Scarecrow? <laughs> <laughs> he can oh. sing, he's got moves, and not a thought in that pretty little head of his. Yeah. Okay. I would like Go to. On. I would like to. I'm not. Um, there's also a part of me that thinks I'm the Tin Man. I'm just like unable to feel Uh uh-huh but i'm probably a lion (laughs) okay i don't have any courage what are you talking about you got courage trying to try and just i I mean look at you living in the big city all by yourself terrified of it all alone uh you yeah i don't know I think the 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 Tin Man. That's definitely like I'm cold and calculating, and just like how I deal at work, where I'm I try very hard to seem like a neutral party, so that like when people ask about something, like they know that I'm not like. It's sort of like when I told you that like some someone gave me like a Christmas bonus, like a client like gave me two hundred bucks in cash, and I was just like I can't like take it back, please. Like I can't do this. It's because, like, that would, like, tilt the scales. Like, I could no longer be, like, a neutral arbiter at work. Mm-hmm. I need to, like, remain neutral, and part of that is to remain heartless. I need to not have emotions in these matters and, and look at the facts. And uh, so, yeah, Tin Man, a little bit. But, of course, as we learn, it was there the whole time. <laughs> um, I wait for it to come out. <laughs> uh but uh, probably. You're probably right. Yeah, that's good. None of us said Dorothy. Does that just mean that the character's a little flat? Does Dorothy do anything <laughs> in this movie besides, like, can't fucking take care of her dog? <laughs> Boy, I bet. Like, get a leash, lady. <laughs> they can't be terribly expensive. There was a I saw Leash in Ann M's apartment. Also You didn't grab that when you grabbed your coat. She took a minute to grab her coat. The when she way left in the that that dog ran out that walk up brownstone. That dog wanted out. Toto! Oh Toto! What were they doing to Toto? Like, like, that it's just like at least in Wizard of Oz, like the witch, you know, aunt witch woman or whatever, like may have stolen the dog or or you know it's in a farm like the dog could like run far away you know presumably it's like this is just like i don't know that dog chose the blizzard over this household <laughs> does dorothy freeze to death in this movie in because in the regular wizard of oz she bonks her head and that's what knocks her out in this one she just gets real cold you think this is like a uh, like a, a match girl situation or something or i think she gets like hypothermia and then the blizzard stops and she's able to like go back home, and she just had the, has this oddly racial fever dream. Yeah, like okay, so I mean, for those that don't know, like the Wiz is a blackening of the Wizard of Oz, all black cast, all black cast. 
you know, soul songs, you know, soul, gospel, uh, uh, all that R and B style. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a few little things that indicate that like this is like that race is like an important element, but it doesn't really, oh, I think there's a lot. Well, I mean, is there a lot, a lot? I, yeah, I would argue there is. Yeah. Well, so like, you know, I noticed like the cabs, like they'd go to the cabs that said like on duty and then like the moment a black person showed up, they'd switch to off duty and drive right. away. Wait. Uh, when they get to like the Wiz's palace or, or tower or whatever, uh, the guards are like the servants' entrances round back. Right. This place is nice. The service entrance is at the side. And I mean, it takes place like an inner city, of course. Like this takes place like in New York. It's like they're going from like Brooklyn to Manhattan. Essentially, yeah. Well, so like I think the they live in Harlem and then they go down. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Harlem, of course. But like other than that, I didn't like pick up on it as being like an allegory f- for it or anything. Well. I I think the songs kind of give it away, like "You Can't Win" or "Don't Bring Me No Bad News." I think these are like things that hit a black mentality harder than us white people. Okay, the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm-hmm. That's not what she's called in this. Her name's Eveline. They, they do say that she's like the Wicked Witch of the West, though. Oh, do they? Point. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, she owns a sweatshop. Yeah, and she's literally like. Whipping them. Well, because like she literally like, sells sweat. Yeah. What would you buy sweat for? <sighs> Musk, pheromones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You want to look like you've been working out, so you like splash some on your pits and your in your face. I feel like the sweat that you get from like working in turmoil is different sweat from exercise. That's true, yeah. But, but anyway, continue. But, well, so she she literally like pulls a whip out and is whipping them. Um, so slavery connotations yes, there. Yeah. They, uh, when, you know, she's torturing Dorothy's friends to find out about, to get the shoes from her, the lion gets tied up by his tail and like pulled oh, up and yeah. I'm like, this is like a lynching. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. And she like just has to witness it. Yeah! <laughs> Diana Ross's reaction in that moment is like complete terror. And it's like, oh, not because he's a lion being pulled up by his tail. It's like somebody getting lynched. No, that's a good point. I didn't connect that one. And then once they kill the witch, they sing that like, Everybody look around, because there's a reason to rejoice, you see. their emancipation yeah and the style that they're dancing too doesn't feel like it feels very black to me okay so seeing like them rejoicing in this way to a song that's like you know optimistic okay it just i feel like it would hit black people different than than me that no that that that's good that's exactly what i wanted when i asked that question yeah maybe it's that like part of it is that you know crossover music of like the 60s and 70s doesn't seem like that radical to me 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like to me, it just sounds like pop music. But you know, in the sixties and seventies, like it was transgressive. Yeah, like, yeah. I think that's because of Whitney Houston. I think she had, you know, with all her crossover appeal. Yeah. Like we just kind of grew up thinking, like, well, this is regular music. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Whitney Houston, her TV debut was on the Merv Griffin show, and guess what song she sang? Home, which is the last song that Diana Ross sings in this. Oh. So it's all kind of like, you know, intertwined. There. I mean, there's a direct connection from the music of Motown into Whitney Houston. Yeah. But. And I mean, I think that there's also themes of like, because um, Lena Horne as Glenda the Good Witch sings a song about like believing in yourself as I believe in you. Who's uh, Sidney Lumet's mother-in-law. Mother-in-law. At the yeah. time. Yeah. That's fun. But, like, when she says the line, like, believe in yourself as I believe in you, she also says in that song, don't do it because I told you, I'm telling you, like, just do it, like, believe in yourself. And I think that that is something, and I don't know, this is, maybe I'm just, like, using my brain, but, like, that's something uh, black people have to, like, keep perpetuating generation after generation. Mm, Like, the way you're acting, like, like, if you're, like, the older generation, it's like, the way you're acting, it may not... I may not approve of it because it seems like radical and you're pushing it, but it's like, I believe in you and I love you. And I think that you need to do what you need to do. So like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like there it's all, it's all baked in okay. to it. All right. Well, racism solved. <laughs> and also I'm a white guy. Yeah. And this is all just me kind of speculating. So if anybody wants to chime in on that and their opinions on it, please do. I just, I tried while watching this time trying to think like, how did, because when I watched The Wiz a long time ago, or whatever, the first time, I kind of had a reaction like you. I was like, I don't know. But like the more people I talk to about it, especially black people, they're like, well, I really love The Wiz. Okay. And it's like, oh, well, I tried to I tried to put myself in that mindset of like, how, how would it be to see this movie from that standpoint? Well, because one of the things that I read about it that made me kind of sad, actually, was like this kind of like single-handedly like put a halt to like the the up and coming like burgeoning like black movie scene. I know. How sad is that? They're just like, oh, it was one flop, and they're like, that's enough for us. Well, I mean, that's like you know, you see it today a lot with like female led comedies. I mean, yeah, you know, this is an older example, but like Bridesmaids, where it's like, if this flops, that just proves that women aren't funny. Yeah, and it's like this is the movie that's like, oh, yeah, well, one black movie flops, and now like we got to just shelve the rest of them. Yeah, forget about this better get back to business as usual yeah we need to go back to making scream blackula scream (laughs) yeah it's like it's they were just looking for any excuse not to keep making these types of movies and it's like i think it's a shame because it's like this is very different than like a lot of things i've seen and like maybe this is just me but i do feel granted i didn't see the stage production or the broadway production back in the day but from what i know about it it just sounds like it was better because like it was a sensation on broadway it won the best musical tony, yeah for tony's that and year. i don't know if you've like seen or, or know who who andre de shields is i don't he originated the role of the whiz and here it's played by richard pryor who does like a serviceable job but andre de shields is flaming oh and so like He's just like sort of one of those uh, uh, Billy Porter type, uh, uh, you know, really super gay. And it's like once I kind of like found out that Andre DeShields like was originated the Wiz, like seeing Richard Pryor, who kind of has like who's really glum in his 
in, in a lot of his performance. It's very meek, too. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I was just like, boy, that's not the way to Shields would have played it. And it kind of just made me feel like it. this is a little bit more like a whitewashed version, a little bit like they were aiming. Oh, like they're watering it down a little bit? Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know. Like, that's just the way that I read it. I was just like, I don't know. It felt like the musical, like the stage production would have had a lot more personality to it than mm-hmm. this had. Cause it's like, you know, Richard Pryor is a pretty good actor. Like I've seen him in a, in a handful of things, you know, Superman three, but it's like, this isn't like a standout performance for him. No, it, it doesn't I get to show off in his, the movie. And said <laughs> like, it's not like it gets to show off his strong points at all. Like he's not able to be funny in the role. Like, yeah, which presumably is, is, you know, strongest character trait as an actor. And like, he doesn't get to show that side off where it's like Andre de Shields is like, you know, he has such a presence, like just the way that he talks, you just want to turn and look and see who's saying that. You know who I'm going to fault for this? Joel Schumacher, because I know that he added a bunch of stuff to the screenplay about like being your own home and like the self-help guru stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's, all the the wizard is well isn't that like all the stuff that the scarecrow's like all the fortune cookie knowledge that the scarecrow's like pulling out of himself isn't it all like that weird self-help philosophy stuff yeah do not accept any situation question argue and explore i don't know it, it seemed like a lot of that stuff was was spoken through scarecrow with his fortune cookie knowledge there. yeah I did. I noticed a couple times where I was like, "Okay, my problem with this movie right now is a screenwriting problem." I mean, Joel Schumacher is not known as a screenwriter. That's not, not his strong point. What is his strong point, by the way? Costume design? Because uh, it, was, it was that for a while. Yeah, and it was like his connections to the fashion industry that, like, uh, for like the uh, uh, trade center sequence. Like, oh my god, let's talk about that. Matt, the first time I watched this movie, I was floored by this sequence. I mean, to me, if you're gonna... Like, this is really the only reason to watch the movie, is, like, this sequence. It is crazy. The amount of costumes, the amount of, like, just production it probably took. They had to close down World Trade Center Plaza yeah. to do this. It's huge. It's it's hundreds of people. Massive. Hundreds of people dancing in like everybody's wearing a different costume too. Like and then they do a costume change like it's all in green and then the wiz is like now the color that everybody should be wearing is red. Yeah. Everybody's wearing a red costume. And then they do it again. Everybody wears gold. I don't know. To me this like this sequence like was very 1984 to me. Like just like the uh, oh yeah, anonymous sure. can... announcer telling people how things are and everyone having to conform, like, sure, sure, all at once. And to me, it read like without an acknowledgement of what had just happened. I don't know stuff like that. Like 1984, yeah. like we've always been at war with this country. No, we've always been at war with this country. Totally, like, yeah, yeah. Big Brother, yeah. Like it, it just read of a totalitarian sort of society. It's just, I don't know the the production of this sequence i think is super impressive quincy jones is in it he actually he's the one playing that huge piano oh okay which is fun 
And like, you know, it's easy to kind of fetishize World Trade Center stuff now that sure. it's gone. Like to just see it in any movies, you're like, wow. I also like the design of like the towers themselves, like how they like connect. Yeah. And there's like the speaker. I was like, you know, this looks cool. Like I, I like I can get behind all this stuff. Yeah. Because honestly, like I felt like the stuff with the whiz, like when they're talking to like the big head like blowing flames, I was like this is one of those scenes that's going to get a direct comparison to Wizard of Oz. And I think Wizard of Oz did this part better. You know what it reminded me of in this movie was the big- Zardoz. <laughs> no, but good answer. Uh-huh. Uh, the talking head and don't hug me. I'm scared. And now we all worship our king. Our king. Huh? Our king. His name is Malcolm. It just looked a lot like that. Um, no, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. I don't big know. Stonehenge hedge type head. Yeah, it didn't really frighten me. And you're right. I think that like in the original movie, they get it a little better. It's a little more imposing. And this one just feels like you're on some ride and you can see the like mouth moving. I don't know. It was, yeah. it was a little sad. Yeah, no, it didn't it didn't really wow me or impress me. And I don't know, even when it was sort of like revealed, like the man behind the curtain, like it, it's not really the same here, but uh, yeah, it just didn't have that wow factor that when you're dealing with material that's supposed to be like all wow factor you know yeah on that note like when the evil witch of the west goes away it's just like she deserves so much better like she doesn't melt or anything she just sort of like falls into a toilet yeah and i'm like especially because she was about to kill that dog which you know (laughs) i thought of you (laughs) I was like, this is where Matt would cave to. Oh, no, I totally was like, yeah, lynch that line. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't hurt my dog. Would you like sauerkraut or mustard, my dear? (laughs) On your hot dog! Not the dog! (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. I'll give you whatever you want. Here's the shoes. Here, take them. Here's take them. Take them. Do whatever you want. She also, okay, so she's the person who, I don't know the actress's name, but she originated the Evil Witch of the West on Broadway. Okay. And this is a moment in the movie where I think that, like, the far pull outs director wise, like, really do a disservice. Okay. Because her costume is bananas. It's eating her. Like, it, like, She's not wearing it. The, she, the costume's wearing her. Yeah. And when you pull that far out, you can't see her doing the mugging that she does because she's, she's great at that. Sure, sure. And, like, if you're going to pull out that far, she needs to have a crazy physicality. And she's a larger woman. And that costume looks like it's making it difficult to move in. So sure. it's like she can't be this imposing thing. Also, she's short. And the costume makes her look, like, short and wide. And for some reason, to me, that's not imposing like I would make it try to like elongate her body or okay. something like it just something wasn't working there for me. Yeah, like she it there's real there's no real sense of presence from her. Yeah. Like just the way that it's shot because it's like she is placed like way at the back of the set. 
So it's like everything else looks bigger in comparison to her. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really give a sense of presence. She's not a tall woman. Yeah. And like the way her costume is designed, it makes her look shorter. And I don't find yeah. that intimidating. I almost would have done these shots sort of like over the shoulder from her, like her sitting up high on like her her, her throne of sorts, looking at all the people working so that like she was center frame really big really large and then like looking at all the little people working for her or something but it's like luma does it the opposite where it's like all the workers are like in the foreground she like there's the the narrowing perspective of her like tiny in the center of the frame like yeah just it didn't read like threatening she just doesn't have that like big bad that we need mm-hmm. like maybe at least like give us some more cut-ins to her face because she's great at mugging mm-hmm. like i love the mug she was given but like there's just not enough of it i don't know i just i was really disappointed by the, yeah i mean you know what that. this sort of needed acid queen uh from Ooh, from uh tommy. tommy yeah like tina turner with like her crazy eyes and things like that like oh my God. that's how they i feel like they should have kind of filmed her or like the wicked witch in this movie yeah i could see that yeah so this movie has a tie-in to um a podcast favorite of ours cheryl lynn <laughs> The original touring company of this, Cheryl Lynn, played the evil witch. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's another thing I like about this movie is, like, great singers. Like, just not stuff that, like, I'm used to hearing, but, like, fuck. Lena Horne? Just belting? She used to open for Miles Davis. Fucking love it. It's real good. Yeah, I I mean, that is, like, the saving grace of this movie is that, like, the singers are really good. I just... I just don't feel like the movie's got a soul to it. Like, there's, it's just so flat. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, it, it, and like, I kept comparing it to Xanadu. And in the end, maybe it's just that the, there's a little time between me and Xanadu. <laughs> and so I, I can look back on it more fondly. But it's like, you know, just a nose ahead of this movie. But like, this is squarely in the the bad musical genre. Wow, you know, I think it ekes into good territory on second viewing for me. Oh, I think this is better. I think this is the best musical we've done. Phantom Parrot for the Paradise, notwithstanding. Little, Little Shop, Shop of Horrors, Horrors, notwithstanding. I'd forgotten about that one. And are we counting uh, Little Mermaid as a musical? Mm. It's animation, different category. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know what to say about that. But uh, I think this is one. I think it's pretty good. I mean, like, I liked it better on second viewing, I will say. Like, the first time I watched it, I was like, what did I just see? I don't even know what to think of it. I mean, we, uh, we all know my my illogical view on the Apple. So I put that one at number one. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> yeah. Even with their sloppy ass dancing, yeah. yeah oh the, boy, I, I think because the apple is so much of something, like I, I don't know what, but it's definitely that. Uh, then Little Shop of Horrors, because that that's just good stuff. Yeah. Um. Then then we're starting to get into the dregs. Like I'm, I think I'm gonna put Repo at the very bottom. Wow. Okay. Be- well, this I mean the songs in Repo were truly bad and they got bad actors and the singers were pretty bad 
So it's like that that deserves a place at the bottom. So now we're just dealing with like the Wiz and Xanadu like fighting it out for fourth place. And you're gonna give it to Xanadu. Wow. Yeah, I think I gotta give it to Xanadu. Racist. <laughs> I don't know. I think this movie's a little better than Xanadu, to be honest. Well, it's just because of your insatiable himbo lust for uh, Michael Jackson, 19-year-old Michael Jackson in this. Do we have to acknowledge that he was probably a child molester? Let's just do that real fast, get that out of the way. Yeah, I mean, probably. Isn't isn't it, like, documented evidence at this point? Like, It seems pretty clear that was he... Was it, uh, like, a six-hour documentary, Finding Neverland? And it's like, even at the time, like, the kids were able to identify birthmarks, like, around Michael Jackson's genitals, like... That's pretty irrefutable evidence, if you ask me. Yeah, it's pr- he probably he probably did some bad things with kids, but he's so good in this movie. <laughs> I, I'm gonna like you know, th- if Woody Allen did it, Michael Jackson did it. Like yeah. we have more evidence that Michael Jackson did it than we have Woody Allen did it. Oh, but he's so he's just such a good performer. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that's honestly what it boils down to is how much do you like what they did? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Ryan's willing to uh, overlook child trauma for uh, well, you know Scarecrow what? and the Wiz. This is like uh, with Roman Polanski where it's like, you know, he, he had a tough ri- life growing <laughs> up. He can have a rape. Uh, Michael Jackson was oh, Michael a chi- ja- child star with an abusive father. He can abuse a couple kids here and there. It's fine. <laughs> oh, and I hear the stuff from like Michael Jackson's what am I childhood. Oh my god! Yeah, you all think Ryan's joking. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> We've got hours and hours of entertainment, <laughs> and a couple kids got abused. Whatever. I don't know. No, I, I mean, I just we have to acknowledge it. Like this is what we talked about on Repulsion, where it's like you can acknowledge that they did these things, but also that they're good at their thing. So yeah, we have to. I think we should acknowledge. I think that's yeah, for me, like it's especially egregious with Michael Jackson because like he is a repeat offender. Like it wasn't just one instance, and he hundred percent used his fame. He like targeted low income families so that like money would be a, a, a especially potent leverage. He groomed these kids, like, had naked sleepovers with them, and, like, did it repeatedly. Like, he was, like, a predator. Yeah. And, I don't know, like, when we talk about Roman Polanski and Woody Allen, like, I'm still firmly that Michael Jackson's the worst of these. And, honestly, I'm going to play the gay card. I don't play it that often. I'm playing it here. I think if he molested little girls, he would have gone to jail. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying it. Like... We like, especially at that time in the '90s, like when it was first coming out, society expected gay men to be molesters. Like that—that's part of like their mo. And if he had, I really feel that if he had molested little girls, he would have gone to jail. That's my controversial, unpopular opinion on the matter. It sucks because it does taint the movie a little bit for me watching it this time. I like. Like, I had the thought when it first saw him, like, yeah, Michael Jackson's here, but it's also like, he's probably a child molester. <laughs> Very likely. <laughs> I can kind of get past it in this movie because this is before he did all that, presumably. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but you're still like, he'll grow into this. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it is hard because, like, hey, I watched Captain EO as a kid. Like, Michael Jackson was a part of my childhood. Yeah. Have you ever watched, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but like you just, that performance, solo performance he did at the Apollo 
Uh, oh my god! I want to like, say when it's... the moonwalk premiered. Yes. Yeah. You just watch that whole five minute video. It is incredible. It, my it, mom like, you, you bought are... me like the thriller jacket, like that red leather jacket. Oh yeah. Like for like ten year old me, like. Ugh. No, like he was like a big deal to me growing up, and then like six months later it was when the molestation things came out, uh-huh. but. Yeah, no, I mean, him, like, premiering the moonwalk at the Apollo. Billy Jean, he's, it's just, it's literally him alone on a stage, and it's electrifying. It makes me think that he wore those pants that were just slightly too short, so, like, you could, like, fully see his feet. feet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just, it's amazing, and it's so hard to separate that from the fact that, like, yeah. His, His is one of the hardest ones for me. Like, Woody Allen, I can kind of, like parse out i mean at least with michael jackson's art isn't about like rape and like he's not like singing about like dating underage girls or anything like that pyt PYT. (laughs) (laughs) but it's like it's just it's so much harder because i don't i just i really don't want to believe it like more than anybody else when you look at michael jackson he seems asexual Right. Like, he does not seem to have a sexuality. Like, we all saw the Lisa Marie kiss at the VMAs. Nobody bought it. (laughs) But, like, with Woody Allen or the Roman Polanski, because sex is so much a part of their movies, and it's like, you know, they all had these famous long-term relationships. Well, I don't know how long Roman and, and, and Tate actually dated, but, you know, like, it was a famous relationship at, at the very least. Yeah. Like, we envision these people as adults, who have sexual relationships where we don't envision that with Michael Jackson. Like he doesn't seem like a sexual being. Yeah. So yeah, like it's a little easier to separate just because of that. See, look at us being responsible. We're not just glossing over this. It pains me to talk about it, but although uh, I, I will say we, I don't think we, we, uh, I think we let James Franco off the hook a little easy in our, our spring breakers episode. Oh Yeah. Do you want to do you want to address it now? <laughs> well, I I do want like we talked about him like hitting on like seventeen year olds and like their age not being an issue for them, but I guess he also started an acting school and like really like preyed on the female students at his acting uh... school. So like we didn't talk about that in the Spring Breakers episode, and, and I kind of forgot about that. But is it hard to just not be a fucked up jerk? Because based on the way men act it seems like it is but i'm doing okay you're as far as i know you're doing okay don't don't let like some skeletons come out on on you well i mean i don't know with these shifting values and cancel oh, culture boy. <laughs> that's why you're so obsessed with uh age of consent washington 16 <laughs> well i uh, the age of consent i only really know because when i was 19 i started dating someone who was 17 and so i remember i had to like bone up on it (laughs) i actually think i was 20 because if i remember correctly he turned 18 and then like six months later i turned 21 okay and so like i yeah i need to know the stats on it make sure the law is on your side yeah that's responsible yeah. It also, is a little cold and calculating and heartless, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's your style. That's you. Also, like twenty year old dating a seventeen year old isn't really a problem. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, yeah, it is. You should go to jail for that. 
Uh, Michael Jackson should be (laughs) set free. I would say let's cancel Matt, but then that would mean that everything you've ever done needs to be canceled and the podcast. I was going to say, yeah. So it's my own. We're in the same life, buddy. (laughs) Interest that uh, that's fine. Yes, I agree with everything you've done. The Wiz. The Wiz. Are we done with The Wiz? Are you ready to, to put The Wiz back on the shelf? I was going to say, I think I've taken this Wiz as far as I can go. Yeah. Thank you for coming along with me on these musical journeys. It's always oh, fun. Yeah. I want you to bring another musical to the podcast. You haven't brought a musical to the podcast, well, I guess if we count The Little Mermaid, but other than that, episode two. So, uh, <laughs> Phantom Paradise? Please feel free to- Is that really to... the last musical that I did? Yeah. I'm bringing all the musicals to this show. Wow. Are we counting Muppets Take Manhattan as a musical? We and could. That was still you. We but... could, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think it's because it's just more your genre. Like, well, that's fair. I guess I haven't brought a lot of horror movies. I have yeah, brought some. Yeah, but... and you know, you're not bringing a lot of erotic thrillers to the to the podcast. Like, that's my lane. And we're not going to get a musical next week either. <laughs> nope, still doing a tried and true. Got to get that bucket list. You know, shortened at least a little bit. That probably means it's a famous director, famous actress, famous something. Well, I mean, kind of in all those categories. I don't want to say that we're going to phone it in, but like this is just something we could do in our sleep. Oh, 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 I'm excited. We're going to do Gremlins 2. Oh, yes. Just, I've wanted to do it since I, like, honestly, I was like, if I'd make Gremlins the last movie of the Christmas season, Maybe I can make Gremlins 2 the first movie of, like, January. I'm like, oh, no, but January, too busy. We're going to do Angels in America, like, blah, 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 you know, uh, Boko January. And then, like, we're into February. I'm like, oh, well, my first pick is going to be for Valentine's Day, so I got to do Possession. And then it just, like, it spiraled out. So this is the first chance I've gotten to pick Gremlins 2. Well, you mentioned this movie last week in the Secret of Nim episode. Did I? Yeah, you were talking about how that googly-eyed gremlin scared you. Mm-mm, Are mm. you comfortable <laughs> watching this? Well, we'll find out. Okay, well, if it freaks you out, you can <laughs> I'll, I'll call you you. tap me out and say we can't do this movie. It's too scary. <laughs> it's too scary. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> Haven't seen this probably since I was a kid, so I'm real excited to review oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Probably my first introduction to meta humor, like all sorts of stuff. It's good. It's good, it's good, it's good. Yeah. We'll talk about it next week. <laughs> um, well, in that case, uh, just how about we plug our drunk and get the fuck out of here? Yes, please. Ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between, we have a Patreon where you can uh, send us money. It's a great way to support the show, and it's not just uh, a one-way street. You're not just giving us money and not getting anything in return. You're getting a buttload of bonus content. So it works out in your favor and ours. Uh, yeah, we'll be uh, covering the entire uh, video filmography of Michael Jackson here shortly. So, yeah. as well as the Cosby Show. <laughs> uh, that is Patreon.com/slash/ExtraMovies. Your support is welcome and appreciated. And uh, while we're here, 
Shout out to everyone who's already doing that. Uh, love our extras. Free ways to leave us love, of course, uh, wherever you get this podcast. They usually have places in which you can uh, leave star ratings or reviews or both. In which case, uh, we would love if you did that. Uh, even if you want to just uh, leave uh, Michael Jackson's a pedo, five stars. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, I would also accept Diana Ross is too old. Five stars. Five stars. I like the no context for Diana Ross is too old. <laughs> just like, she just been alive too long? Like, yeah. What's the problem? When's she going to die? That's, what every, that's a question on everybody's mind. And, again, I would like to take a moment to thank everyone who already has left a review. That's very helpful, and I appreciate it. I'm sure Matt does, too, but he's busy signing something. I can't tell. Uh, let's call back to the beginning of the episode. We were signing things. I've already forgotten. <laughs> I'm doing the thing I hate where I'm, like, extending the junk plugging. Like, let's yeah, just you fucking get through this. this. Okay. Reach out and touch us. Reach out touch us. X.Rated.Movies at gmail.com is our email. At Rated X Movies is our Facebook page. At X Rated Movies is our Twitter handle. And XRatedMovies.com is our website. <laughs> and if you go to that one, you can find all those things that Matt just said. There's a link for contact. So, blah. So, Next week, Gremlins do. And until then, keep reaching for the rainbow. Bye. Bye.